I think what the memorial will will do in its narrative and the way it's been designed and built is is to give people a sense of this could have been me. On the 7th of July 2005, a series of four bombs went off in four different places in London. 52 people lost their lives and there were immediate calls for a permanent memorial to mark the event. But what form should the memorial take and where should it be cited? Decisions like this meant the memorial was four years in the making. Towards the end of this planning process, we interviewed some members of the team behind the project. Julie Nicholson lost her daughter in the bombing at Edgware Road. At the very start of the process, before a design team had been appointed, we were given about six sites to, to view and think about. And I think we were just about unanimous in Hyde Park for all sorts of reasons. It's, you know, if you ask anyone anywhere in the world to name some famous London um, locations, I think Hyde Park would probably be there. It's a very buzzy, thriving, living place. But also it's right in the centre of an area around it that is part of the thrust and um, busyness of, of London. And, and I think most of us couldn't see any point in having a memorial somewhere where it's not going to be seen. On the project board charged with creating the memorial, Judy Nicholson was one of the four representatives of the bereaved families. Other members of the team included representatives from the Department of Culture, Media and Sport and the Royal Parks. One of their early tasks was to set up a competition to find a designer. It was a very interesting process and and the, the team that were um, selected impressed us, I think, on a number of levels, um, not least because of their great empathy and sensitivity and, and their um, willingness to work with families. And they asked very important questions about what people's hopes and aspirations and desires were. And, you know, if you can imagine 52 families, you know, a sort of an ideal memorial ranged from something like a, an ecologically friendly worm farm to a great bronze eagle. But I think what everyone wanted was something that represented the 52 individuals, but also represented the four sites. Um, but also um, express something about the collective nature and that it would be something that stood as, as a thing of beauty, a work of art, which even in a hundred years' time, people visiting the memorial would just stop and be able to have a sense of the narrative of the event. The design team that won the commission were the architects Kevin Carmody and Andrew Grok. It could be argued to be a risky way of winning a, the competition that was set out because we came to the interview, unlike the other candidates, and we put no scheme on the table. The final design grew out of a period of intense consultation between the architects and their clients. Andrew Grok. The singular and the collective became a defining sort of phrase that carried us through the consultation process. And the concept resulted in 52 cast stainless steel ingots located in this 
particular special place in Hyde Park, each of these ingots representing a life lost. Now, these stainless steel castings are arranged into four clusters, with the number of each lives lost at each place forming the numbers of the clusters, and in turn blending those clusters together to form a collective composition of 52 elements. I haven't experienced many of the world's memorials, but but my gut feeling, my instinct, is that a memorial at its best must have a sense of awe and express something about the, the essence and the sanctity of human life just cut down. And one, one family representative on, on the board, uh, when we first saw the, um, the model of the memorial, which was a very moving and emotional and almost, um, it was a silent moment where we, we, we saw, and it had a massive impact on us. I mean, someone had to leave the room because of the emotion of it. And, and then this, um, this wonderful man who is also on the project board said, in, in quite a, an emotional way, which we all felt, it reminds me of how those 52 people once stood tall in this life and in this world. And, and that's a wonderful thing, isn't it, that a memorial can, can speak that strongly. The memorial reaches out not only to the people who've been directly affected by the bombing, but also to the wider population. Colin Buttery is Deputy Director of the Royal Parks and a member of the Project Board. The design process uh, does have to reflect uh, that some people may just stumble across the memorial, whereas for other people more closely linked to the, uh, the incident will have friends, uh, relatives or uh, family members who have been directly uh, impacted upon and they may well... Uh, wish to visit the memorial on special days, uh, special to their own family. It could be things like birthdays. It may well be other family-related dates that are important to them. But equally, I think for people who are just moving through the park, we anticipate that people may actually sit and uh, have a a quiet moment and and actually contemplate uh, what happened in the bombings. Um, and, and I think that's, that's very important for a public park, that they may just come across the memorial and, and feel moved by uh, the memory of the people who lost their lives. Architect Kevin Carmody. Because that idea of the singular and collective works at a scale. You're talking about a very open park, um, some quite large trees, and you're approaching along paths to see the memorial. And what we wanted was something from a distance that blended and, and, and like a field together to form one thing that you walk towards. Yet maybe the memorial through a changing of scale as you approach it reveals slightly more information. You realise that there's actually four clusters and then after that as you move closer that there's actually 52 elements. And then after that, importantly, that each of the 52 elements is inscripted with, with information 
um, of, of the date, the time, and the place of each, each of the lives lost. And that encourages people to, to discover these scales of, of, of realisation of the meaning of the memorial as they, as they meander and move through the memorial. When fam the families started talking with, with the, well, even before the, the design team were appointed about what, what we wanted the memorial to be, I think quite a lot of people felt that it needed to stand as, I don't know, perhaps warning isn't the right, the right word, but as a, um, You know, we say with, with wars or conflict of any, any kind that, you know, this must not happen again. Usually with the full certainty that this probably will happen again. And, and I think if, if the memorial was merely about the 52 people that died and didn't come with a, a, a sort of um, kind of health warning that this is humanity at its worst, then you know it kind of needed to represent something of that shadow side and and i think that what we have ended up with with the memorial will be at times full of light but will also cast shadows the material and manufacture of the memorial was also important to both the designers and their clients architect andrew grog we went through a very extensive consultation period with the families about what materials should form the message of the memorial. And we concluded after several consultations that um, it would be very interesting to cast the elements with a very ancient process of a sand casting, rather like a, you would cast a bronze, but with a very, very modern contemporary material, stainless steel. Now, that has the advantages of indelibility. You can't kind of scratch it or deface it. It's indestructible. It also has a very poetic message that in the solidification of the casting process, these elements are formed within an instant and poetically, not perhaps in a particularly comfortable way, but reminding the visitor that this memorial has captured the life lost of each of the 52 individuals in an instant. So, you know, the, the meaning and the making is very, very important. This material, as a result, is absolutely um, indestructible and, and had a unanimous vote in the end from the bereaved families for being something that will really stand the physical test of time. For the two architects, it's the first time they've ever designed a memorial, but it was the collaborative nature of the project that they were most struck by. First, Kevin Carmody. In no way through this process has, has this been a kind of heroic design process. We, we have evolved small steps of understanding with the families and, and tried to respond to what are often quite emotional reactions to ideas, materials. On Sub subliminal associations of the form or the size or the colour or, or, the, or the smell of a material and how that may have related to their most poignant initial remembrances of where they were led into the, the um, charred tube carriages or 
you know, to take specific examples, it would it wasn't it wasn't a comfortable design process, but necessarily not. Um, but but what was very clear from from the project board was that they asked us to maintain a a professional approach and and not to enter into any sentimentality um, in, with regard to the design. Colin Buttery of the Royal Parks. I think the true uh, test of whether the design process has worked is going to be how the public react to it. I'm confident that the bereaved family group members are very happy with the design because they've been so closely involved with it. But the true test will be what your everyday Londoner makes of the design when they visit Hyde Park and just come across the design and the memorial and and whether they like it or dislike it I think it will provoke within them the need to reflect on what happened uh, on the 7th of July and like uh, artwork I'm sure there'll be some people who will really like the design and there'll be some people who don't but but ultimately I think the the, the true test will be what your average Londoner makes of the design. I like to think that all of us on the project board have, have contributed to something which will be not only a gift to the families, but also a gift to London and, and for generations to come, so that we have contributed to the process of, of this gifting which honours the dead, but hopefully will inspire the living. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.